What a, what a privilege uh, and blessing for me to be here today and this week with you all. Um, yeah, my name is Brad, and um, as Peter just said, uh, my wife and I, our family, we've, we've been members here for actually over 20 years. Um, uh, we have been working and living uh, overseas much of our time, and uh, because of your partnership, uh, we've been able to do what we do over there, so we really appreciate you. It's been fun to be here this week and, and, and meet some old friends, not old friends, you know, but meet former friends, and, uh, and, and also to meet new friends, and just to get to know you all, and uh, wow, these guys, Ray and, and Alex, that were on the band up here, we just had Brazilian barbecue with them last night. You guys have a treasure in this church, I don't know. Um, you have a treasure, so um, that was delicious. Um, uh, my wife, Kristen, sends her greetings. She wasn't able to come with me this week. She is back at home. She teaches English as a second language classes, and she just wasn't able to get here this weekend. Uh, but she sends her greetings. We have three kids. Uh, all three of our kids were actually uh, dedicated right here on this stage. Uh, the oldest two um, uh, are, are married now, so now we actually have five kids, so that's exciting. And um, this church is a church that commissioned us and sent us out uh, 20 years ago. So, so it really feels like home coming back here. And I think I can speak for every single one of your global partners that are here today, ministry partners around the world, here in, in Connecticut and, and, and elsewhere. Thank you. Thank you for, for your encouragement. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for lifting us up. Thank you for the many ways that you partner with us. Um, let me ask you a question. What image comes to your mind when you think of anthropologists? Probably don't think of anthropologists that often, right? You might think of, of uh, you know, funny people with notebooks out in the jungle talking to people and taking notes. You might think of, you know, old school pith helmets and, and you know, you might think of Indiana Jones raiding the Lost Ark. Uh, there's probably a lot of things that we think of. Well, full disclosure, I studied anthropology when I was in college. I wasn't smart enough. Nobody told me that you can't actually make any money in the field of anthropology with a degree in anthropology. They didn't tell me that. So um, it was before the day of like internet where you can just Google like jobs and professions. So I didn't know that and maybe I would have changed my degree. But um, no, actually considering I've spent most of my uh, adult life uh, living and working in cross-cultural contexts, it's actually been one of the most useful degrees, one of the most useful lenses that I can use to try to understand the world around me. As an anthropologist, what I want to know is I want to understand other cultures. I want to understand the way they think. I want to understand why they have the values they have. And, and also, I want to understand my own culture. Why do I have the values I have? Why do I think the way I do? I want to understand worldviews. What's the, what's the lenses that they see the world through and why? And how does that impact the way they behave today? I want to understand how people differentiate between other groups, right? If we're honest, there's always, there's always differences between ethnic groups, cultures, people groups, and, and that's not a bad thing, that's, a, that's actually a, a, a beautiful thing. But in short, I want to know what makes us us and them them. Now, like I say, diversity is, is a beautiful thing. Revelation 7, 9, and 10 tell us that one day 
this is a, a future vision that we're all going to live in someday. One day, there'll be a multitude of people that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And we're going to be standing before the throne and before the Lamb, side by side, next to each other. And you know what we're going to be singing? We're all going to be singing together, Salvation Belongs to Our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Isn't that an incredible picture of diversity and unity? Unity in diversity, standing side by side. I wish we had that now, today. But we all realize that each culture does have unique features, unique facets of their culture. Um, each culture thinks differently, acts differently, behaves differently. Um, and when we talk about cultures, we usually think of us and we think of them, don't we? And usually when we think of them, whoever the them are, and there's a lot of different ways we divide thems, there's a lot of other thems out there in our lives, right? There's a lot of others in our lives, and usually when we think of others, we, we think maybe with a little bit of pride that us, the way we think, is better. Maybe even more biblical. Maybe even more Christian than them. Do we not think that? Okay, if you don't believe me, just ask yourself. If you're here and you're slightly from a slightly older generation, have you ever made a comment about those millennials? Those Gen Y, those Gen Z, they're always getting their participation trophies. Have you ever said that or heard that? All right, if you're, if you're younger here today, you're one of the younger set, do you subscribe to that Reddit, subreddit, um, like, Boomers, SMH. You know what I'm talking about? All right, if that describes you, you know what I'm talking about, right? We view the world in us and them terms. It's almost to be human. You almost can't not. We all do. We all look through the lenses of cultural myopia, cultural nearsightedness. We see us and ours and our way of thinking as better, don't we? Our theme for this week's impact conference is expand. Expand your love, expand your understanding, and you expand your engagement. That's been our theme all week. How can we expand our love for the other around us? How can we expand our understanding of the thems in our world, in our neighborhoods? How can we expand our engagement with the others around us? Maybe if we were to add another line onto our our impact conference uh, theme this week, it would be, how do we expand our us? If we think of the world in us and them, how do we expand our us, our we? You know, the, the people of Israel had a similar problem that we have today. The Israelites were God's chosen people. They were chosen, you know, God chose Abraham and his descendants, Isaac and Jacob, and God chose them and said, you're going to have the descendants as many as the stars in the sky. I'm going to bless you like crazy, Abraham. Um, but the blessing was not meant to stop with Abraham. God blessed Abraham so that he could be a blessing to others, to the nations out there. Now, before I go any farther, I want to make two sort of caveats or, or disclaimers. Okay, I'm going to be talking about Israel a little bit, and and. I'm not bashing Israel, I'm not insulting Israel, right? Um, but neither am I equating Israel to America. 
Let me explain, all right? I'm not going to critique Israel any more than Israelites' own authors and kings and prophets did. King David, all the Old Testament prophets, the Apostle Paul, they, they had some of their harshest words for their own people, the Israelites. So I'm not going to critique Israel any more than they do. We're going to let their words critique themselves today. But secondly, as we look at the lessons that we can learn from Israel, we need to be careful how we interpret that. God did bless Abraham. God did bless Abraham, uh, the Israelites as his chosen people. God promised to give them a land, but, but that's not us. That's not America. God didn't, didn't choose America as his chosen land, right? Okay, if, if you're born again, you're grafted in, you're a spiritual son or daughter of Abraham, right? But that blessing is to us as spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. But it wasn't a blessing to America. So we need to just be a little careful how we apply things when we start talking about this stuff, right? That's all I'm going to say about that. So God instructed the Israelites. God chose the Israelites, the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, um, go and make an ark of the covenant. And he gave them instructions for this big wooden box. And it was covered with gold. And then, and then there, were, there were angels on top, and they were covered in gold. And this Ark of the Covenant was meant to be the symbol of God's very presence with the nation of Israel. It was a very special thing. And God gave very specific instructions on how this Ark should be carried and where it should be. It was meant to be in the, the inner temple, the, the most innermost part of the tabernacle. And, and only certain people were supposed to come near it, the Levites, one of the tribes. And, and only then were they, were they very specific instructions on how to handle this thing and not touch it because this was the representation of God. Well, one time the Israelites were waging a war. They were doing a battle against another town, another city of another ethnic group, another people group. It almost doesn't matter where they were right now for what we're talking about. It was another war that they were battling, and in that battle they were afraid they were going to lose. So you know the story. They brought the Ark of the Covenant with them into battle. It was never meant to do that. It was meant to stay in the inner sanctum in the Holy of Holies, and they brought this box, this Ark of the Covenant with them in the battle, and you know what happened? They lost it. They lost the battle, and they lost the Ark of the Covenant. The the enemies, the other culture, the other, the other town captured that ark. And, and then the other people, wherever they took it, it brought calamity. Wherever they placed it, in their temples, in their places of worship, in their homes, it brought disease, it brought death, wherever it was. So sooner or later, that, that other culture decided, hey, we've got to get rid of this thing. We don't want to keep dying, right? We don't want diseases and boils all over us. So they, they decided to send it back. So we have this picture of the Ark of the Covenant, the representation of God, the whole point was it was not where it was meant to be. It was meant to be in the place where God could be worshipped, where God was blessing Israel. And so David, King David at the time, made careful preparations to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And uh, he invited all of Israel to come to Jerusalem to join him on this day of celebration. It was going to be a big day. It was going to be like a national holiday. He brought all the Israelites with him to, to Jerusalem if ever there had been a moment in the nation of Israel, in the life of Israel, where they could have been excused if they would just celebrate being us, if they would have just celebrated God's chosen status, God's election of them, this could have been that opportunity. 
the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of, the, the symbol of the presence of God that had been missing for years was now coming back. And they could have been forgiven if they would have wanted to just celebrate being us on that occasion. So here we got King David. He's making big celebrations. He's pulling out all the stops for this big celebration, this holiday. Um, you can read, if you, if you have your Bibles, you can open to 1 Chronicles 15. Um, if you don't, that's fine. Read it later. Uh, he, 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 he makes a lot of preparations for like a big national holiday, right? He, he builds this great big tent in Jerusalem, and the tent is where the ark is going to come. Uh, he... He, he brings the best musicians to town with their harps and their lyres and their bass guitars and electric keyboards, I think. Maybe they didn't have it then. I don't know. Um, they, they invited all of Israel. They, they sacrificed these bulls and rams. They would have been like perfect, spotless, you know, bulls and rams. Um, they had this huge choir and the best choir directors. They had special doorkeepers. David was, was, was dressed in his best threads, his best cool ceremonial clothing. Um, this was going to be a big deal. David brings out, it says in First Chronicles 16.3, it says that they had dates, like cakes of dates and raisins for, for every Israelite man and woman. Like, okay, so when I read that, I just think of like Christmas fruitcake. I don't know about you, but I'm not crazy about Christmas fruitcake. But, but if you've ever had Middle Eastern dates and figs, it's not like your American Christmas fruitcake. I promise you, these are succulent. They're juicy. They're sweet. They're, they're incredible. And David brings all this food. It must have been a lot of food. Now, the other thing about David, you remember that he actually wrote a bunch of our psalms. We have 150 psalms today recorded in our Bible. He wrote almost half of them. Between 73 and perhaps 75 of the psalms we have, he wrote them. So he, he uses this occasion to write a special psalm. Well, he didn't write a new psalm. He created this mashup of three psalms that he had written before. Psalm 96, Psalm 105, Psalm 106. And he mashes them up into one great big medley. And he institutes this song to be sung at this special occasion when the Ark of the Covenant was coming back to Israel on this special moment. Well, if you're like me, I want to know what he sang, right? So let's, let's read that. Let's read that psalm together. It's, it's a little bit long, but bear with me. And I want you to pay attention to what stands out to you when we read this psalm together, all right? And we're going to read it from 1 Chronicles 16, verse, starting in verse 8. This is the song that David and the worship leaders sang at this moment. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make, his no, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the words he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. You, his servants, the descendants of Israel, his chosen ones, the children of Jacob. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the promise he made for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham, the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion you will inherit. When they were but few in number, few indeed, and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake, he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. 
Verse 23, sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let the trees of the forest sing. Let them sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out. Save us, God, our Savior. Gather us and deliver us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And then all the people said, say with me, Amen, and praise the Lord. Friends, there's so much to unpack in this song. And we could probably spend the next two or three or four weeks just unpacking this song right here. But I know you guys have another sermon series you're going to be unpacking. But I'll tell you what stood out to me. A bunch of things. There's a lot of cool things in this thing. But one of the things that stood out to me is the repetition of the nations, of the world, of the peoples. There's a few Hebrew words that, that are repeated a bunch of times. The Hebrew word am, which means nations or peoples, is used five times just in this, in this song that we just read. The Hebrew word goi or goyim as a plural, meaning specifically non-Israelite peoples, was used four times in this song. The Hebrew word eretz, meaning earth, is used three times in this passage. David opens the song with a reminder. Verse 8, the very first verse we read Make known among the nations what God has done. Hebrew poets were very clever. They were very intentional about how they composed their songs and poetry. I don't think it was a mistake that he started with this verse. Make known among the nations, the peoples, what God has done. And then nestled right in the very middle of this psalm, again, probably very intentionally, he repites it again. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the who? The nations, the peoples. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. And then he concludes his song, verse 31. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. So today, I have a one-point sermon for you. All right? Everybody's happy, right? One sermon, one point, we get done. Here's this, the point. God loves all the people of the world. Okay, maybe more than one point. He loves all the peoples of the world. His salvation was meant for all nations in the world. He wants us to expand our small, nearsighted, myopic worldview and see the thems around us, to see the others around us, and to declare his message of salvation to them. All right, that's it. We can wrap it up now. No, I'm kidding.
There's something you need to know about these words. Whenever you encounter these words, nations or peoples or world or earth in your English Bible, those don't mean geopolitical countries as we know them today. When we think of countries today, we think of Kenya and Ecuador and maybe even the United States. But those countries didn't exist the way we have them way back when, when David was writing this song at that moment. When David was writing these things, he meant peoples, cultures, other subcultures out there in the world. To the nation of Israel, in fact, there were only two kind of people. There were the us and the them. Do you know that joke? Do you know that phrase? There's only two kinds of people in the world? Yeah. There's only two kinds of people. People who set one alarm on their alarm clock and people who set 20 on their alarm clock. How many of you set 20 alarms when you need to wake up in the morning? A few of those, yeah? Yeah, my wife is one of those. If she's listening, sorry, babe. I'm one of those ones. I set one alarm clock in the morning. Somehow I usually wake up before it. But there's two kinds of people, right? There's two kinds of people in the world. People who just break off the candy bar, the chocolate bar, right along those lines, a little bit OCD, a little bit like me. I do that. Are you like that? Or there's people that just kind of break in and just break the candy bar. doesn't really matter what shape it is. There are people, two kinds of people in the world, people that eat the whole pizza and the crust and people who don't eat the crust. Is that like you? There are two people, kinds of people in the world. There's Irish and then there's everyone else. Well, for the Israelites, there were only two kinds of people in the world. There was us, and there was them. There was us Israelites, God's chosen people, and then there was everybody else. In fact, the Hebrew word for everybody else, the Hebrew word for nations or heathens, depending on your translation in English, goyim, it's a word that literally meant non-Israelites, non-Hebrew. And that word also was sometimes used to refer to a swarm of locusts or a group of animals. How often do we use derogatory terms for other people? Whatever the other is. It might be people of another political persuasion. It might be people of another, uh, you know, nation or background. It might be, uh, you know, there are so many others there are so many divisions in our society. So, like I said, when we read those words in our English Bible, don't think geopolitical nations. Think uh, ethnic groups, people groups, cultures. And David chose this moment, perhaps the most Jewish moment for years, the moment when the, the Ark of the Covenant was coming back to Jerusalem. He chose this moment to remind the children, the sons and daughters of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that God, yes, God did choose you, but God chose you and blessed you so that you would be a blessing to the nations. That's the reason why God chooses and blesses. God chose this most Jewish moment to hard code, to hard wire the reminder into the worship, the everyday worship and the every week worship, the rhythms of worship that they had, to hard code it into the worship, the reminder that God blessed Israel so that they would be a blessing to the nations. Key word, so that. Why? So that they would be a blessing to the nations. Psalm 67 
It's a psalm that we probably all know. Let me read it and you'll know exactly what I'm saying. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. We've heard that before. This is blessing many times. A pastor, maybe Peter, has finished our sermon and gives this benediction. May God be gracious and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Isn't that beautiful? Don't we all want that blessing? Don't we all want that? But have you ever noticed those two words right after that? So that. Why does God bless us? So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. We all love to be blessed, but are we gluttons? Are we hoarders? Are we keepers of that blessing to ourselves? Or are we conduits of that blessing to the others around us? All right, I want to fast forward um, many centuries later, and uh, I want to use the words of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, Romans 9, verses 2 through 5, he starts pointing his finger at his own people, the Israelites. He said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human history, ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever be praised. Amen. Paul is saying the Israelites, his own people, they had all the advantages. They had the blessing, the prophets, they had everything. They had the symbol of God's very presence with them through the Ark of the Covenant and the pillars of fire and everything, and they still missed it. Now, let me just pause for a minute. If you're here today and you don't know what I'm talking about, this blessing or this salvation, I've used this word a few times, salvation, and you're like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Let me just, let me just pause for a minute and just let me just say something, okay. Um, let me try to unpack just very briefly what we mean here at Calvary when we talk about salvation, all right. Um, I just read from you from Romans 9. The very next chapter, Romans 10, Paul tells us a little bit about what that salvation means. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We here at Calvary believe that God, that Jesus is and was actually God. Jesus was not um, just a a, a cool dude that that said a lot of selfless things about loving your enemy and turning the other cheek. He wasn't just some Middle Eastern peace guru out there that, that was a, maybe a prophet or whatever. Jesus is God. Jesus is God in the flesh, in the form of a person to come and to show us the way. So if you don't know what that means, please come and talk to me afterwards. Talk to uh, Pastor Peter or anyone else sitting next to you and we can try to help you understand a little bit about what that means. But back to the rest of us. The very next verse, Romans 10, verse 12, it goes on from that. He says, um, after proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and believing your heart, Paul says this, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation was never meant for just one group, the in-group, for the chosen people. For the nation of Israel, 
it was always meant for the Jew and the Gentile. Okay, so to backtrack several centuries now, back to the story of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem, back where we left off, right? All right, so he, he chooses this very Israelite moment, the, the moment when they could have been forgiven if they just were going to celebrate being Israelites, right? God's blessing, God's choosing of them. He chooses this moment to remind them that their blessing was always so that they would bless others around them, that they should expand their us. Now, I don't know about you, but this is really good news to me because I don't think I have a drop of Jewish blood in my body. My parents did one of those DNA tests a few years ago. I don't know what it was, like Ancestry.com or whatever. And, and, and I think I'm like Irish and Scottish and Swedish and Norwegian, you know, a good free church person, right? Like a lot of us, right? Okay, and, and I don't think I have a, a drop of Jewish blood in my body. So actually, I, as a Gentile, am one of the nations. I am one of the other and that salvation is for me. Maybe you're like me here today. Maybe that represents who you are. I don't know. But that salvation is for each one of us. It's for you and for me and the children of Israel. Like I said, I'm not here to pick on Israel today. But I think there's some important lessons that we can learn from this story, from this account, and from David's reminder to the Israelites on this most Jewish moment that we need to open up, we need to expand our view of the, us, of the thems around us. God has blessed us incredibly, but God never blessed us to keep that blessing to ourselves. The blessing was never meant to be static and remain with us. God blesses us so that we will be a blessing to the thems around us. So I want to ask you a question. What are the moments in your life, in the rhythms of your family life, or the, in the rhythms of Calvary Church, or in the rhythms of our nation? What are the moments where we celebrate being us? Maybe it's birthdays. Maybe it's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving's coming up soon. Maybe it's Christmas. Maybe it's Easter. Maybe it's Fourth of July. What are the moments when you celebrate being us, being you? And now I want to ask you another question. What are the, what are the, who are the, the us's in your circle? And who's not included in the us's in your circle? Who are the thems for you? Who are the thems for Calvary Church? You might think, nah, I'm cool. Live and let live. I like I like Thai food, I like Indian food, I, like, I do Chinese carry-out every now and then. Live and, I'm good with, with other cultures around me, I'm good with others around me, whoever they are. Let me ask you this, is there another culture that you wouldn't want your son or your daughter to marry into? If you're ever driving at night after dark and you pull up and there's a stop sign and you see somebody of another culture on the sidewalk, do you check to make sure your doors are locked? Because you feel unsafe. If you're flying in an airplane and you see somebody that doesn't look quite like you and they get up and they start rummaging through their carry-on luggage in the bin up above, do you get worried? Do you start wondering what that person is trying to get at? If so, there's a good chance that you probably see the world 
in us-them terms. And our challenge this week is to just expand our us. To look around at the thems around us. I'm going really, to get really down to earth here. I'm not getting political. But our country is engaged with some pretty important discussions right now, aren't we? About immigration. About race. About George Floyd. There are so many things. And, and, and we have to have these conversations, friends. And if we're not going to have them here in the church, I don't know, are we going to let the world dictate where we're going to have those conversations? We have to talk about this. But when we talk about this, are we looking first and foremost through the lenses of our politics or our us's and them's? Or are we looking through the lenses of love? Let me explain that in a minute. You guys all know 1 Corinthians 13, right? 1 Corinthians 13, it's the famous love passage, isn't it? We've all probably been to a wedding, and, and 1 Corinthians 13 was read. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't dishonor others. Love isn't self-seeking. But I am very sure that when the Apostle Paul wrote that, he did not have weddings in America in the 21st century in mind. When he wrote that, he had a church in Corinth in mind that had every division imaginable. If you read the first 11 chapters of 1 Corinthians, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, get a Bible, go home and read it this afternoon, and, and just read about all the us's and them's in the church in Corinth. All the divisions. They were, they were arguing about, oh, well, so-and-so baptized me, and so-and-so baptized me. They were arguing about the role of women in the church, how women should dress in the church or not dress in the church. They were arguing... They were arguing about all kinds, of, they were arguing about marriage. They were arguing about, about spiritual gifts, what spiritual gifts should be used when and how and which ones were better. They were arguing about everything under the sun. And then Paul gets to 1 Corinthians 12. And he says this, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. This is the context of chapter 13, the love passage, right? Just before he gets to that, he says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Here it is, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. Once you start seeing it, it's everywhere in the Bible, guys. We were all given the same spirit to drink. There should be no us's and them's in the church if we're seeing others through the lenses of love. The church in Corinth was deeply divided, a bunch of, a bunch of different fault lines. Is Calvary divided among a bunch of fault lines? And would we take off our, our us-them glasses and start looking through the glasses of love? And I wonder how that would change our conversation I wonder if we were to look at the others outside of the four walls here and see the others around us. Our challenge today and this week is to expand, to expand our views of others, to understand, or to expand our understanding of others, to expand our engagement with others. One more passage, I have to point this out. Acts chapter 17 Paul is in Athens here. Athens, if you know anything about Athens, was a very, very multicultural city. There were people from all over the known world there in Athens. 
And Paul gets this chance to go up to the Areopagus. It's the place where, at the top of the hill, where it was like this temple, and Paul was engaging with the philosophers and debating with them, and and they welcomed him to kind of give a speech, kind of give a sermon. And near the end of his sermon, to this very mixed, multicultural audience, Paul says this. He says, the God who made the world, let's just stop for a minute, it was God that made the world. This is God's world, it's not our world. This is God's country, not our country. And he says, the God that made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if God needed anything from us. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations. There's that word again, the peoples, the ethnic groups. He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that, there's our word again, so that. Whenever you see the word so that, you have to ask why. God did this. He created people. He brought people to places. He's bringing people to us here. Why? So that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. The Lord God is Lord of history and our borders. God appoints people and where they're going to live and where they're going to go so that people will reach out to him and find him. Today we're surrounded by people who don't fit in our circle of us. We're surrounded by people from other backgrounds Could it be that God is bringing other people from other parts of the world in his sovereignty here so that they might reach out and find him? Okay, so we've talked about us and them, but what are we going to do about it? How are we going to sort of like start living this out? And if you are already engaged with a lot of different others in your life, if you're already engaged with people from other backgrounds, other orientations, other political parties, whatever the other is in your world, if you're already engaged with that, great. Keep doing that. Please keep engaging. Please keep expanding. But if you want some helpful ideas about how you can expand your us, you should have on your seat, you should have a, a, a card like this, this glossy color brown card that says expand your love, understanding, and engagement. And on the back side, they've given us some really, really helpful ways that you can begin to expand your us. And I would encourage you not to leave here today without giving some thought to how you can expand your us. Let me, let me just talk through some of these things. You can, you can join like this Bible study where you're discovering God's word, God's world, and God's work in a community group. You could do that right now. Um, you could participate in an upcoming equipping class where you begin to understand God's purpose for your generation. You could, you could become a weave family. This is so cool, guys. If you have family, if you've got kids, it's not just for kids, it's for big people too. You could become a weave family. You can support for and pray people coming from Afghanistan and other places. You can get your kids involved. Um, yesterday, Pastor Peter mentioned a, a road trip down to Bridgeport. There's going to be more of those beyond 498 road trips. You could sign up for one of those. Watch this space. There's going to be more coming. You could go outside here in the cafe, and there's this beautiful impact wall with a, a map of the world in wood, and it's laid out on the wall. And underneath there, there's a bunch of brochures. Go grab some of those brochures and learn of ways that you can get involved and expand your us. You can get involved with international students, immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers. Um, 
There are tables right around here. Don't leave this room today without going and, and visiting some of these tables and talking to people at these tables and, and asking, hey, how, how can I get involved? How can you help me? What opportunities do you have to help me expand my us, to be a blessing to other people around? You can grab also on your seat, there's a prayer guide. It has a bunch of entries on people that Calvary partners with here in Connecticut and around the world. You can grab one of those and start praying every day for different partners that Calvary partners with. You can join a future service learning trip that might be abroad. It might be here in the U.S. You can encourage Indian pastors. You can sign up for 15-minute segments on Zoom, and you can encourage people in another part of the world. There are so many ways that you can get involved. But our challenge today is this, to sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all.